So there's still a shutdown thanks to COVID, but we're going to keep the show going as best we can, talking to creatives about what kind of content they're consuming in these non-stop days of uncertainty. But today's guest is someone who's even busier now than they were in the infamous before time. This guest is so busy right now, we're actually happy they were able to join us this week on the very busy Issue Zero. I'm your host, Fred Kennedy, and today we're talking with one of my favorite people to see at Comic-Cons, fellow Albertan, Kurt Pierce. Now, he is from Calgary, and seeing that I'm from Edmonton, we probably shouldn't get along at all, but I like his writing, and we share a lot of friends, so somehow we make it work. I really need to double down on how busy this guy is. Uh, Just last week, he announced a project he's working on with both Amazon Prime and Amazon's digital comics service, Comixology. It's called Youth. So I wanted to get the word from the source on what it's all about. It's it's about particular. It's about a we got a big cast of characters, but the two main characters are these two queer teens in a small mid Western American town who go on the run, meet up with a bunch of other kids. They're doing all the terrible shit you do when you're in your late teens and early twenties, and something goes terribly wrong and they get superpowers uh, and things just continue to spiral. So yeah, issue one's actually out today. You can read it, comicsology.com. Uh, and then, yeah, we're, we're adap- I'm adapting it and producing it as a streaming show for Amazon. And we're, we're working on that right now. How did all this stuff happen? Cause I've seen stuff play out on social media uh, because it feels like over the last year you've been just putting out content, content, book, 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 book. When did all this stuff begin, man? Well, the Amazon thing was funny. So this book, I tried to get it made since like early 2018 and no one would really publish it. Everyone was like trying to tell me how important and special it was, but they couldn't publish it. So eventually I got connected with my contact over at Comixology and they loved the book and responded to it and really, you know, championed it internally. And so once we had a few projects out, or some, sorry, not a few projects, a few of the issues done, was in LA for, for meetings. Uh, and I just really hustled and I managed to set up a meeting with Amazon and I pitched it to them in person as a TV show and like 24 hours later I had an offer in my inbox. And is that youth? Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, literally it's just hard. It's just really hustle. You know, if I hadn't flown out to LA and just work my ass off and taking, taking meetings all day and done all this stuff, I wouldn't, wouldn't have the show, which is kind of funny to me because the way a lot of places are writing about it is like Amazon IP farmed this from internally. It's like, no dude, a few dudes like worked their ass off on a book and hustled super hard and were able to, to get it, get all this stuff going. Now, if you wanted to check out youth, it's actually free. If you're in Canada and have a prime account, we posted the link in the show notes, but I was wondering about TV shows, movies and all that. So what are you watching these days? The Last Dance on on Netflix has sort of been the highlight of every week. The one thing I can look forward to in this uh, maelstrom of terribleness. Uh, it's just really great to to sort of relive uh, this, you know, the story of the the Bulls dynasty and the 
get a really in-depth look at the lives of like not just Jordan, but uh, Dennis Rodman, probably my favorite, uh, Pippen, all the other sort of like crazy stuff that's going on behind the scenes. Excellent. If anyone's not watched it, I really recommend checking it out. Now, is it is it the nostalgia or the way they're peeling back the curtain on this that you find that you're attracted to the most? Oh, it's definitely the peeling back the the curtain. I don't. I mean, I'm a bit younger. I'm 27, turning 28 in a couple months. So I was too small to really experience it. Like I would have been literally a fucking baby. Uh, but it's. I think the most interesting part for me is is MJ and just seeing what makes him tick and sort of that drive for greatness. I, I really relate to it. And also, uh, it's not just a puff piece. You know, you really see how, like, he pushed a lot of the, his teammates to their their limits. So I just think it's, it's an endlessly fascinating watch. So when you're watching things like this and you're dealing with, like, once-in-a-generation type characters, do you find how that will influence the way you're writing characters because you're doing a lot of writing at the same time? It's the situation is so unique. Can't necessarily pull too much from Dennis Rodman into like genre fiction, but I think the the scope of the story and just the larger than life, despite it being real, energy to it is something that's certainly inspiring and has got me thinking about like dramatizing uh, or how could you do something interesting with you know, sports fiction or these sort of historical sporting legacies filtered through like a dramatic or streaming engine. Of course, The Last Dance has been the docu-series everyone is talking about. And unlike Tiger King, it's not making a hero out of an animal abuser. So I like it. It's directed by Josh Hare, who's done a lot of other docs like the incredible Andre the Giant documentary on HBO last year. Uh, he's also done a few 30 for 30 docs on ESPN, including the 85 Bears, my all-time favorite rap group that doubles as a football team. Regardless, The Last Dance is an incredible series covering the 1998 Chicago Bulls as they make one final push towards a sixth championship and unrivaled greatnessitude. It's a beast of a documentary. Multiple film crews followed the team for more than 100 days, totaling about 500 hours. It lives up to the hype. And it pulls no punches. In fact, Michael Jordan was worried he'd come off as an asshole in it. And to be honest, he does. But it's great because you really see how committed he was to being the best. And he expected that same commitment from his teammates. He was merciless in pursuit of greatness. And you should also know, to temper that, is that he donated all the proceeds he made off the dock to charities. And for context... That's more than $5 million. It's nothing to sneeze at. But enough about sports. I was wondering, Kurt, let's let's talk about books. What are you reading right now? I've been slowly chipping away at uh, Blood Meridian, the Cormac McCarthy novel. I've had it in my to-read pile for about 10 months. It's, it's really dense and sort of brutal, nihilistic novel to read so it's been taking me a while but it, the president's just excellent so i've been chipping away at that and then i've got a ton of comics and graphic novels to read just because i've been buying a bunch from the stores and stuff in calgary and 
some stories in Edmonton to try and support them, but like I just don't have time to read it all. But uh, like I've been trying to read the boys. I've got some Alan Moore stuff to read. Uh, but yeah, it's mostly Blood Meridian. I'm trying to finally finish it. What is Blood Meridian about? So it's set in like the. It's a western set in the old west. It's uh, basically about a group of American soldiers who go out sort of into the American frontier and venture into Mexico to pretty much hunt and scalp as many Native Americans or Mexicans as they can. It's a, it's a brutal book and certainly not a politically woke or correct one, Uh but it, it's a piece of historical fiction sort of centered around the Old West and the brutality and violence of it. Uh, the character you follow is sort of like an orphaned kid who's a real bastard, uh, you know, like murdered people in bar fights, this kind of thing. And it just tracks this, this roaming band of soldiers, mercenaries, murderers, perhaps, as they journey across Mexico, pretty much just on a bloodbath. Now, you you mentioned uh, it's not it's not a, a woke politically correct book. Do you think it's possible to like take a story about awful garbage human beings and tell it in a way that isn't celebratory but critical? Hmm. It's kind of interesting in in the context of this book. It's obviously. Uh, hold on, let's look up when it was written. I don't have it off the top of my head. So Blood Meridian was Blood Meridian was published April 1985. I don't think you could publish it now at all. Cormac McCarthy would have been, you know, roasted on Twitter, all this stuff. You can write story. Not every character has to be likable, though. I think that's sort of honestly the opinion of idiots and babies on the internet. But I don't know if you could necessarily stretch the limit to evoking empathy for a roaming band of murderers. Like, everyone in Blood Meridian is, is pretty much terrible. Uh, and I think one thing that shows, like, Game of Thrones, that kind of stuff has shown us, is you can do that, but it's very difficult. Blood Meridian. Kurt is in no way exaggerating the tone on that one. Anyone who's read The Road from Cormac McCarthy, which is a story about a father and son trying to survive in a post-apocalyptic wasteland, should know that Mr. McCarthy is not one to pull punches. It's a very hard read, and the movie of the same name that came out in 2009 featuring Viggo Mortensen is just as hard. Anyways, Blood Meridian is the ramped-up version of The Road. Uh, published in 1985, it's a bit esoteric and loaded with mysticism. There's a character in it, I guess you could call him the antagonist, named Judge Holden. Holden is described as seven feet tall, completely devoid of body hair, including eyebrows and eyelashes. He, lash he lacks pigmentation in his skin. He's a mysterious figure, a cold-blooded killer, and it is implied a child rapist. Aside from the children he openly kills, he's seen enticing children with sweets, and children often go missing when he's nearby. At one point in the novel, he's seen naked with a child in his room, and Holden's strange appearance, as well as his keen, almost supernatural abilities like fast reflexes, strength, agility, among others, point to his being something other than a normal human. In fact, I would often argue 
about this book where I believe he's meant to be an analogy of the worst traits of humanity, a metaphor for Satan, uh, corrupting the youth, being pure malevolence. And I'm not alone when I say that, but Kurt had a bit of a different take. He said the entire crew in Blood Meridian feels like an entire embodiment of evil, of the most base and evil impulses of man, and that he doesn't know if he would characterize the judge as the embodiment of Satan, however. He feels like maybe Judge Holden is a fallen angel of sorts and is curiosity and obsession with things point to Holden being something much more than human. It is a great book, but I'm warning you, it's quite dire and does not pull punches. I'm going to use that phrase again. Uh, It dissects villainy in levels, like an onion. A very evil, difficult-to-read onion. But considering how entrenched in comics you are right now, Kurt, I was wondering, like, what's the last comic you read? Uh... You know, I think the last one I really read with a lot of attention was this Alan Moore book called, uh, I think it's, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, it's Neonomicon or Necronomicon. It's based on this H.P. Lovecraft stuff. Okay, it's Neonomicon. It's a four-issue book that was released in 2010 that is sort of a dark thriller centered around the H.P. Lovecraft mythology. I mean, it's fucking crazy. It's like, it culminates in this Lovecraft fish man, like, having sex with a woman. Like, it's really fucked up. But it's kind of, I think, a precursor to True Detective in a lot of ways because it blends sort of weird fiction and the procedural cop structure before dovetailing into, you know, crazy land. But that was the last thing I... I, read completely uh, just sort of because I was curious about, you know, it's recent Alan Moore work. It's got sort of a mystique around it because of how weird it is. And yet yeah, certainly a trip. Alan Moore, the beautiful bearded wizard of comics. Uh, that book's from Avatar Press, by the way. Jason Burroughs uh, not only handled the art, but also helped Mr. Moore write it. And I do love Alan Moore a lot, but I don't know if that's something I'd ever pick up. I have a real issue with H.P. Lovecraft. He's just not my favorite human. His stories are well made, but the racism's just too overt for me. I don't know if you're very familiar with the beliefs or his writing style, but H.P. Lovecraft had this idea that man is inherently evil and civilization elevates humankind into a complete being. And in every case, these evil, uncivilized peoples have dark skin, They're non-white, they're subject to their base desires, and are unable to control themselves. It's all just very white man's burden-y, and try as I might, I cannot see past it. Which is the exact opposite stance of one of my favorite writers of that same era, Robert E. Howard, the creator of Conan, who always felt that society and its greed, rules, and trappings separate humanity from its inherent noble nature. You can actually read the two of these guys bickering and arguing over that point uh, via their letters and correspondences. Um, It's a book called A Means to Freedom, and if you're a fan of either the Cthulhu Mythos or my beloved bronzed Chimerian Reaver, definitely worth picking up. Now, I feel like everyone's been digging deep into video games these days. So, what about you, man? You know, I try to play video games against just, like, blow off Steam, but I have a hard time finishing them. I find 
A lot of them can be a huge waste of time. Uh, I really like the Naughty Dog video games, like, you know, like Last of Us, Uncharted 4. It's great storytelling. Some of the best storytelling, say, in any medium. They're just really get great at what they do. Uh, the Star Wars video game that just came out was great. Uh, Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah, that was probably the last game I beat, and I, I loved that game. It was, it was excellent. What do you think the timeless nature of Star Wars is like? Why do you think it's still around? Uh, just because I think it's just it's so cool. It's just I think the 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 core of it, it evokes childlike wonder in pretty much everyone. And yeah, I think the. I mean, it's hard to really talk about Star Wars because it's become so volatile, but I think when people, what they're looking for in Star Wars is just to, you know, feel like you're a kid again and enjoy themselves. Uh, and really, there's such a mythos to Star Wars and such a mythic scope to it. Uh, I think that's where it's really successful. And also, I think, you know, swashbuckling heroes... All that sort of stuff. Because we look at the Mandalorian, it doesn't really have any <clears throat> Jedi's or anything in it, but it's probably the most, you know, positively received piece of Star Wars fiction in quite a while. And I think it's just because it's got this this real tone and energy to it that feels at home in the original trilogy, like the Mandalorian kind of really reminds me of Han Solo when you first meet him, you know, just sort of He's a cipher. He's pretty much a bad dude who occasionally does good things and we're just following him across this sort of expansive world. But again, you could you could talk all day about what people want from Star Wars because there doesn't really seem to be a, a consensus anymore. That I 100% agree with. It's true. There isn't. And frankly, I don't think there needs to be. There can be more than one type of story told in Star Wars, and there's nothing wrong with having a kid-focused Star Wars movie and then an adult-focused movie. There's more than enough Star Wars for everyone. It's a big galaxy, man. And it just feels a little contradictory when I say this, but I don't think everything needs to be for everyone. And what I mean by that is there's no reason... We can't serve different audiences what they want specifically. Mandalorian and The Last Jedi feel like they're made for entirely different audiences. And that's okay. What I also don't understand is how politically charged Star Wars seems to have become. If you like Rogue One, you're not supposed to like The Last Jedi. And if you see somebody praise the particular Star Wars movie or show or episode you dislike, you need to call them out on it to let them know you're angry. Why? Who cares? It's all Star Wars. It's fine. Grown-ups don't get mad about stories revolving around space wizards. And speaking of wizards, Kurt, you seem like the type of guy who'd play a sorcerer if you were playing D&D. Are you a tabletop gamer? I did play Warhammer growing up. Spent like a ungodly amount of money. I'd play it with my cousin. I kind of just like grew out of it, but uh, once I... I could easily see myself falling back into it like once I got a couple kids or whatever and just need to something that, to pass the time. Maybe I'll start up again with them. See, that was the thing that kept me out of Warhammer was how cost inhibitive it was. I just didn't have any money. Like, I got no extra money kicking around. And it takes up so much space to keep those pieces everywhere, you know? Yeah, it is really expensive. And it's 
it's like a lot of work. It's like a job. You got to build them. You got to paint them. You got to do all this stuff. But I think the world of it and the figures and all this stuff are so cool when they're when you when they're done well. It's uh, it's certainly a a fun world to lose yourself in. So break this down for me because I've never played it, but my understanding of it is. In most video games, when you start a new game, you're really committing to something. Like you got, like let's just say you're playing like a total war game. You pick a faction, okay? You're playing that faction, and then you have to spend time to learn how to play that faction. But with Warhammer, you've got to spend like two hundred bucks to buy and build an army, and then you got to pay the money to paint them, and then you've also got to learn how to use them. So you could find. That after a few months and a few hundred dollars, the army that you started with is not the one best suited to your style of play. Am I wrong in saying that? No, you're actually you're actually right. Uh, and where you're wrong is thinking it would be only two hundred dollars. I think you're more <laughs> likely to it for about a grand by the time you've built your army. So, what army were you when you played? Okay, I was uh, I was the high elves. Uh, and then my cousin, who I played with, was the Dark Elves, of course, right? Yeah. Uh, and it was funny because we both we we'd play in my cousin's basement, and my grandma had a room right by the basement. We'd get so heated during our games, we'd start like arguing and swearing at each other. And and my grandma would after shut out, like you guys, like chill, you know. But we both wanted to kick each other's asses so badly in Warhammer. We'd, like, try and outspend each other and do all the stuff. It was, like, basically like a, a fucking Cold War or something. Uh, or, like, the nuclear arms race, but with miniature figures. And, yeah, we eventually just stopped playing because we'd get too heated, you know? We had these huge blow-ups and fights, and we were <laughs> just, like, 12-year-old kids, like, yelling at each other and, like, you know, storming out of the house because one of us was getting our asses kicked, so eventually we just kind of stopped. For anyone not familiar with Warhammer, I will try to explain this as simply as I can. It's a giant war game where you buy kits and build an army, then you paint the army, and then you go to war with other people and their armies. Now, Warhammer itself is a quasi-classic high fantasy setting, but there's also Warhammer 40k, which is a brutal post-apocalyptic sci-fi setting. Although I don't know if post-apocalyptic is very accurate. I think it's more just like exceedingly brutal sci-fi with horror and fantasy elements intertwined. The game is expensive to play and time-consuming, as Kurt and I discussed. But I really need to say that every time, every time I've gone to a Games Workshop store, yes, Warhammer has its own store chain that sells their products, I have had nothing but incredible customer service. Seriously. See, I use the Warhammer minis for my Dungeons & Dragons games, and I'll have really long, in-depth, nerdy conversations with the people that work in those stores. So even though I don't play Warhammer, I got to give a shout-out to the people that work at the Games Workshop stores. They consistently are fantastic people. Also, a big thanks to Kurt. For coming on the show today, as I mentioned earlier, the link to his latest book, Youth, is available in the show notes. Uh, And keep an eye out for more announcements about the development of the TV series with Amazon. I tried to grease him for details, but he said he couldn't say much. Just that things were moving along smoothly and everything was very positive. Uh, Thank you for tuning in today. Next week, we're going to be talking with Alex Segura, co-president of Archie Comics and a very accomplished novelist. 
who's got a book about the Resistance's best fighter pilot, Poe Dameron, coming out this July. Uh, that's next week on Issue Zero. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to Issue Zero so you never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps us spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Co- <laughs> Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today, links to all our guests, etc. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, you can on Twitter at Fearless underscore Fred, Facebook and Instagram. You can also email me, issue zero at CuriousCast.ca. We've had a lot of great emails recently about potential show topics, uh, including one about a groundbreaking Canadian television series that is often ignored. We're going to get really deep into that one in the coming weeks. Uh, so please, if you've got show ideas, don't hesitate. Reach out. I'm very open and I'll always respond. Uh, this show is hosted by me, Fred Kennedy. I also write it along with my producer, Dila Velasquez, The Contemptible Harpy. Uh, sound design and final production is by Rob Johnson. Also, huge thanks to Dylan Moore, who's been lifting a lot of bricks as of late. Uh, he does a lot of work on the episode. So thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Rob. See you next time. More Issue Zero. 